making decisions is so important. Um, I always say procrastination is the devil. You, you have to keep you have to keep the company moving, and if you're not making decisions fast enough, the rest of your team is going to know you're not, and they're going to get restless. Keep in mind, your team is as smart as you. So if you think there's an issue, there probably is an issue, and go, go fix it as quickly as you can. Hey there, welcome to the Family Podcasts. My name is Vladimir. And our goal here is pretty simple. It's to give you access to the best knowledge and content out there about startups and tech. Basically, at The Family, we host events in front of our communities. In Paris, London, Berlin, Brussels, with top, top speakers. We get the best investors, founders, employees in the ecosystem today in Europe. And we are a family for entrepreneurs. All across Europe, we have like 200 startups and we help them with anything they might need. Back to today's episode. Ron Conway. He's the man. As Paul Graham said, he's the investor. If he gives you money, you just take it and don't say a word. He's in the game since the mid-90s. He invested early stage in companies such as Google, Facebook, Twitter, Airbnb, and the list is freaking long. Hundreds of deals, thousands and thousands of companies he talked to, angel or seen investments have no secrets for him. He's even called the godfather of Silicon Valley. He came at the family and talked on stage with Matthias Pastor, our director. How he started his investment fund, SV Angel, what is a good investment, and more importantly, what is a good entrepreneur. He has seen the best entrepreneurs of our generation grow. That's why I have only one advice to give you. Keep listening and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Um, so first, thanks so much for coming, Ron. I'm very excited to Pleasure. get to interview you um i'm the lucky chosen one here on that um so from you know literally i don't know if you've googled ron but if you google ron's name you get essentially just people singing your praise and the sort of the most admirable people in our industry from paul graham yep, to that's ben on page one uh, that's literally well it de- yeah it, de- it depends what you filter for i guess <laughs> um you know not later than a couple of days ago paul graham was saying that no one works harder for founders than you do um and after 25 years doing this job it's a pretty amazing thing to be able to say um, and, you know, to a large extent, your portfolio speaks for itself. So it's, it's, it's a crazy thing. And what, what I want to cover today is everything from how you started to how SV Angel operates today, what you look for in founders, the sort of common mistakes. And so uh, with that in mind, first question, how did you get into this industry? Um, so I, I was born and raised in San Francisco, which is kind of a coincidence because now San Francisco, you could say, is the tech hub of the universe. Um, it doesn't always have to be that way, which is why it's so great that the family and Station F are operating in France and so many entrepreneurs are blossoming everywhere in the world. But I, I was fortunate to be born in San Francisco. Um, then uh, I, I don't have a technical bone in my body. Uh, I was a political science major at San Jose State but I immediately went to work at National Semiconductor, which is in the early 70s, was it still had lots of fruit orchards in addition to semiconductor factories. But the great, way, the great thing about National Semiconductor is it was kind of like the Marine Corps of, 
of companies where the CEO was very dogmatic and you know would fire people very quickly if they didn't work hard. So that's where I got my work ethic. And then a group of us at National Semiconductor went off and started a computer company and I ran sales and marketing for that company and eventually became the CEO. And that was called Altos Computer. Um, and technology is all about disruption. Startups are all about disruption. And Altos was disrupting a bunch of companies that many of you have probably never heard of. Data General, Prime, Wang, um, uh, I Prime Computer. I've never heard of those, I agree. <laughs> it's, it, it, but we were dis disrupting the mini computer industry. But when you're disrupting, there's a lesson here, when you're disrupting, you, you always have to be a disruptor. So when you're disrupting, you have to disrupt yourself or someone behind you will climb over you. So Altos disrupted the mini computer industry, but then behind us came the personal industry and they disrupted us. Personal computers connected to the ethernet uh, turned every personal computer into a mini computer. We didn't see that and we had to sell our company um, to Acer out of Taiwan. Now, our venture capitalist was Don Valentine of Sequoia Capital. Who's heard of Sequoia Capital? Eh, quite a few, Sequoia would be happy. Um, Don Valentine's the founder. He also started his career at National Semiconductor. And Don Valentine in the early 90s told me, I think you would make a good angel investor. Why don't you come on some boards and see if you like mentoring founders. And from 1990 on, I just loved mentoring founders and eventually started venture funds uh, on a more formal basis. But, but uh, even though at Altos I managed 1,000 people, I realized I, I really didn't like managing people. I, but I did enjoy giving others advice based on what I had learned. So when did you realize that was what you wanted to do for the rest of your career? Uh, really, right after I started serving on a few boards with Don Valentine um, and then started investing my own money as an angel, I, I knew I'd be hooked for life. And I told people 30 years ago, I love giving founders advice. I'm going to do it the rest of my life. Um, and, and it's true. It's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And you took a pretty crazy gamble back then, so everyone was investing in hardware, enterprise software, and you decided to look at something pretty radically different. Um, what sort of drove you to do that at, at that point? Because there were probably not that many of you thinking about the internet and that sort of stuff. Well, he, he, correct. So we, uh, because I had come from the computer industry and we built hardware, um, the cost of goods of hardware is at usually at least 60% of the price of the good. And this, the software industry seemed very exotic to me because I said, wow, they don't, they don't have to go buy a hard drive and a CPU and the case and the monitor. Uh, you know, it must be an easier business. But it ends up the software business isn't easier anyway because the software companies have to spend roughly 
the same amount that a computer company spends on the hard drive and the CPU on marketing. Because if you're a software company, nobody knows you're there unless you invest heavily in marketing. So that's when I learned there's really no easy way out. Um, so, so when I started investing, and, and what is still true today, SV Angel only invests in software startups. It's, it's all about software. Um, and a lot of people say to me, why are you successful after 30 years? We stick to our knitting. We, we said 30 years ago, we think software is a great market. Software is still a great market. Why, why get distracted? Um, so when we started our first fund, um, I started it with Ben Rosen, who was then the chairman of Compaq, and he had just left Seven Rosen Partners, which invested in Compaq and Lotus. Remember, Lotus was the first spreadsheet. And Ben and I both had gray hair and some net worth from, from our companies. And we said, if we're gonna go work on startups, let's pick something that is nascent, that if it starts at zero, we can watch it grow forever. And so let's invest in this thing called the internet. So in 1994, we decided we would only invest in internet startups. Netscape was not around yet. Mark Andreessen was still a student at the University of Illinois. So literally in the first two years, we looked at every single internet startup and it was probably 100 companies. Then Netscape came along and we knew that Netscape would commercialize the web that Netscape would give consumers a way of accessing all the knowledge. Uh, and up till this point, the web was really described as TCP IP. It was a protocol. But when Mark Andreessen was recruited to Silicon Valley by Jim Clark, along with about four other um, Mo Mosaic founders from the University of Illinois, that changed everything. And I basically lived at Netscape and followed around everyone from Netscape. <laughs> if, you were for, if you were a Netscape employee, you were our pal. Because we knew that, Nets, that anyone, you know, all doors led to Netscape. For example, Yahoo, many years later, Google. But Netscape was the formidable um, founder where everything blossomed. Uh, today, you know, we think crypto is going to be Web 3.0. And the analogy that I use is that Netscape was just founded. That's about where we're at in crypto. We have five years to go, you know, before people really realize the opportunity and there's huge applications. But we think crypto today is where Netscape was the day it was founded. I need to write down uh, gray hair and some net worth is probably the coolest Twitter bio anyone can ever have. Um, so, Glasses. <laughs> um, so, so you've been very consistent in your sort of investment thesis since day one, which is that you say you invest in founder and the founders and founders are what dominate everything. Um, and so 
what investing in founders practically means is investing in some traits that those founders have. And so I was wondering what those traits were and whether you think they're traits that one can develop or they're traits that you're naturally born with. Well, yes, Uh, ours, our attitude from the beginning is that we invest in people first, the idea second. And so whenever we talk to a founder, we're thinking about the traits that are in this handout that hopefully each of you got. And I believe that, that, that being a founder is genetic. I think there's a founder gene and all the founders in this room have that gene. Now you have to, and, and you can't really lose that gene. So once you, once a founder, usually always a founder, Larry and Sergey and Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey are not going anywhere. Uh, if they go somewhere, they'll start another company. Um, but knowing the traits that are important for success are some of the traits that we look for when we're talking to a founder. Um, uh, leadership is one of them. The reason we look for leadership and a founder that can communicate well is once your idea takes off, then it's mission critical that you're able to go talk engineers, because engineers are the first key hires you're gonna make, talk engineers out of leaving wherever they're working today and coming to work for you. When that's a startup, that's hard. So that takes leadership, it takes passion, it takes conviction about your idea that you're able to talk someone into joining a startup. Um, But if you have that trait, you'll quickly recruit a great engineering team. Um, Making decisions is so important. Um, I always say procrastination is the devil. You, you You have to keep the company moving. And if you're not making decisions fast enough, the rest of your team is gonna know you're not and they're gonna get restless. Keep in mind, your team is as smart as you. So if you think there's an issue, there probably is an issue, and go, go fix it as quickly as you can. Uh, focus is important in the beginning. Um, you have to stay focused on your idea. Now you have to be able to admit that maybe the idea is wrong and you quickly morph and reposition. That's another uh, trait of leadership. But, but staying focused and not getting distracted is important. Just working hard. Starting a company is the hardest thing ever. It's 24-7, no distractions, no dabbling. Um, be, because it takes your heart and soul to go build a huge, a huge company. Um, I, that's it for now. And, and, and that already gives good... me 20, 20 more follow questions. Um, so. In, in in some order. Um, first, you mentioned that sort of driving ambition you think is um, innate and you know can't can't really be acquired. Um, I, I sort of agree and disagree. I think that to some extent, ambition is a function of the environment that you're in. And I'm pretty sure that you know when companies come to the family, when they join um, YC, or when they just join the sort of Ron Conway network, their ambition probably increases very very quickly as they encounter people who are a lot more ambitious than they are as they see people who've achieved you know amazing things and i'm wondering to what extent you know that's actually some of the value add that you provide is connecting founders who think that you know their startup could be worth x and actually 
understand that their startup could be worth 100x. Yes, I, I believe that leading by example is something that, that an investor can really help a founder with, uh, in addition to all the other value add. Um, but getting funded is a great badge of honor. It means that somebody feels strongly enough about you that, that they are investing in your, in your company and your dream. Uh, once you get money from an outside investor, then you have even more responsibility because then you're a fiduciary. And you know, then you feel even more obligated to work 24-7. You feel even more obligated to make decisions quickly and recruit a great team. So th the answer is yes. You know, once, you know, once you get around you know, good investors, they will help motivate you. And plus, they're the ones that have to help you make that next round uh, of investment come in as well, which means you've got to show them some metrics so they can go bring in other investors. The other thing you mentioned is that so you said uh, always founders first, idea second. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, sometimes you probably have people come into your office or send you a deck or whatever. And you're like, I really like this person, but I'm really super unsure about what he's trying to build. What's the craziest gamble you took with that? So loving the founder and being very, very skeptical about the sort of industry that he was trying to work, tackle or problem he was addressing. Uh, there's a lot of examples there. Give them all. Um, well, Mark Zuckerberg would be the first. So we were investors in Napster and I could write 10 books about the trials and tribulations of Napster. How many of you remember Napster? Uh, how many of you used it? Wow, and there's some people without gray hair who used it. That's awesome. <laughs> you must have used it when you were 10. Uh, but Napster was one, we're off topic here, but Napster was one of the few companies where my kids who were in grammar school and like freshman and sophomore in high school, they said, Dad, you finally invested in a cool company. Like, you should go run that company. And it ends up Napster was the biggest horror show of any investment I had ever made because we were going up against the record industry. And for the record, the first thing Sean Fanning and I did when we invested is we went to LA and met with a bunch of music lawyers and said, if you can believe this, we're very worried. We, we have like a half a million users using this service where you can share music and we want to work with you to hurry up and get it licensed. And here we are 25 years later, and that problem never really got fixed until streaming came in with Spotify and services of the last five years. Um, so the record companies don't move fast. Um, but Sean Parker, the co-founder of Napster, was the first president of Facebook and Sean Parker came to me and said, there's this really cool company, uh, and I know Sean Parker was a great founder because he had been through Napster. Uh, there's this great company called Facebook, and I want you to mentor me and Mark Zuckerberg. And I, I said, I'm happy to, uh, but I'll never be a user, and, <laughs> and I never have been. Um, Zuck did have one, one meeting where he said, you know, I really want you to use the service. 
And I said, well, if I use the service, it means I won't be able to run out and work about all and help solve the problems we're talking about in the meeting. And he said, you know what, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> same thing with Jack Dorsey. So, so, but Mark Zuckerberg was very focused on, on, uh, on growth and user experience. Those are the only two things that he worried about. Uh, a PR person would say, oh, you need to talk to the press, go away. If I, if I manage the user experience and build a great product, people will use the product and this will be a great company as a byproduct. If I get distracted from that, then, then I'm not gonna be a big company. And every time I met with him, he would show me the chart of the growth of the company. That's a great founder that knows it's all about the users. And if you're growing users, you're going to be successful. But and there's no these startups are ugly. You know that. But if you're growing, hallelujah, um, you're you're making you're making progress. Uh, in one meeting I had with Zuck, I said, "How?" And I have to say, he lied to me, which is insulting. But I said, "How big is this company going to get?" And, he, and this is early days, and he said, we are gonna have 300 million users. And he lied to me by 1.7 billion users. <laughs> uh, but that's- I'm that's sure you're not too mad at him. Pardon me? I'm sure you're not too mad at him. Not at all. <laughs> um, the other company was Twitter. I mean, in the early days of Twitter, who knew what that use case was going to evolve into. But Evan Williams and Jack Dorsey, the co-founders, uh, we had invested in their prior company called Odeo. And Evan Williams had high net worth because he had sold his company to Google. And Evan, as insane as it was, he gave, Odeo failed, and he gave everyone back what they invested from his own pocket. I said, Ev, you're crazy. We're all, we're all big people here. Not 40% of our companies all go out of business completely. And Ev said, no, I feel obligated. I said, okay, I'm just gonna put it in escrow and whatever you do next, I'm gonna invest in that, 75K. And that, there became Twitter. So Ev said, do you wanna invest in the next one? I said, it's in escrow, of course I'm investing. That's a good, so you didn't even really choose to invest in Twitter. <laughs> Twitter was the one company I did not choose to invest in. It was in escrow. Um, so Twitter was another one where it was definitely the founders that, 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 that we invested in. Now Google, we cheated a little bit because we had invested in Ask Jeeves. And Ask Jeeves, uh, before Google was even, well, right as Google was founded, Ask Jeeves went public. We knew search was a huge application on the internet. And, but once we went and looked at Google and saw the quality of the search results, this simple thing that we all take for granted today, page rank. You know, if you like a website and you like a website and you go to it, the Google algor all the Google algorithm said was, if the five people in the front row like that website and somebody new comes in, let's just send them to that website. That's all, the, that's all that algorithm was to start with. Now it's gotten a lot better. You know, Google's a company who never became complacent. 
They continue to disrupt themselves in search. Tens of thousands of engineers are making that search engine better. Because I, I thought maybe they would get complacent after going public. No way, they're, they're paranoid, which is good, uh, especially in a big market like that. And now I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you did, you did, absolutely. Um, one thing that you keep, so you keep saying co-founders, plural. Um, and so one question I have is do you, like how reticent are you to invest in solo founder companies? And if you are, why is that the case? Um, you know, starting a company is hard. You know, I believe you have to be born with DNA to do it. But starting a company by yourself is even harder. So we do feel much better when there's one or two founders. If there's three or four, even better. Y Combinator specifically is very nervous about a single founder. Uh, I mean, God forbid, just what if something happened to that founder? But, but teamwork is everything. And if you have a co-founder going through the trials and tribulations every day, you'll feel better about getting up and working another day versus doing it by yourself. Uh, a lot of people talk about Airbnb and the phenomenon of Airbnb. And my answer to Airbnb growing so fast, because Airbnb, you know, an obtuse application uh, that n nobody knew if it would work. But Airbnb had three founders who complemented each other. They had one that wanted to be the CEO, who wanted, wanted to be the engineer, and one who wanted to, to be the, the head of product, uh, Joe, Nate, and Brian. Plus, you had these three founders evangelizing the mission and the culture every day. The other thing that a founder has to do, they have to evangelize the mission and culture to every human being in the building. If they do a good job of that, you have a company that is so motivated, you, you, can't, you, you have to get out of their way because they're so determined. But if you have a weak culture, you're, you're in trouble. Airbnb happens to have a great culture because there's three founders who each get the mission perfectly in their head and they communicate it to everyone in their department. So, you know, the, the, the more founders, the merrier. You know, with Larry and, Larry and Sergey at Google, you know, the, the fearsome twosome. Uh, so, so, sure, the, the more founders marry, but also there is some form of founder risk when you have more people and, you know, you run the risk of them not getting along. And you've done this now thousands of times. Um, what do you look for when you meet the founders? How do you detect if they're going to get along well in the next three, five, ten years? You know, funny enough, when you're talking to founders and, and one of the things we do look for is are the two or three founders going to get along? And are we gonna have to be a marriage counselor down the road? In some cases, we've actually told, told the founders beforehand, we don't think you're gonna get along. Uh, but in other cases, as time goes on, um, then, then the founders have had to separate after the company's gotten bigger. So one of the things you want to avoid is management turmoil. That's part of having a strong culture and a strong mission. And if the founders can't um, agree on the mission, then it is best that, that one of the founders go. That's a painful process, but it is a self-awakening 
that usually all the employees know about anyway, and they're relieved that you're fixing it. You know, whenever a founder fixes a big problem, morale goes up, not down, because the, the rank and file, the employees and the team members say, oh, thank God, they're awake. They're awake. They know that they have problems and they're fixing them. Uh, so that's why you have to make decisions and fix things fast. Because the rank and file in the company, they, they know all the, where all the problems are. Yeah, that's a founder we, uh, problem we see time and time again with founders is typically when they realize that something isn't going that well in the company. Initially, they have some sort of impulse of keeping it to themselves within the founding team and maybe management. And then, you know, the team, of course, the broader team is smart and knows that things aren't going that well. And then all of a sudden they come to their team and they're like, okay, you know, we only have X amounts of months left of cash in the, in the bank. And all of a sudden the entire team becomes super creative and find ways to survive. You know, we have examples of that happening every other month with the family. Um, and that's a mistake that even if you were, if you, even if you warned the, the founders, it happens time and time again. I'm wondering if there's any other thing um, that comes to your mind of systematic mistakes where you've warned the founder, this is going to happen. And yet they do it and fall into that trap. Well, it's, it's all about not procrastinating and not festering. When you see an issue, just go fix it as fast as you can. Um, if you make a mistake, and startups are about making mistakes, you can go back and correct it and just keep iterating. Uh, but don't let, don't let things fester. So one thing that you definitely don't let fester is your deal flow. You're doing hundreds of, well, you've done hundreds and hundreds of deals. Um, I know that most of the deals that you end up doing, or if not all of the deals, come through referrals. Um, and so I was wondering what sort of process you have in managing that deal flow. So sourcing the deals and then managing the ones that come in. Uh, yes, uh, SV Angel, we see about 100 opportunities a week. And we have about three people that just manage that incoming deal flow. Because keep in mind, most of our deal flow comes from the network of founders and other investors that we've developed over the last 30 years. Our biggest asset by far is our relationship network. But that relationship network produces about 100 opportunities a week. And for 30 years, we've been investing in one company a week. So we invest in roughly 50 companies a year. So 30 years ago, uh, when there were fewer opportunities coming in the door, let's say 10 a week, you know, we invest in one out of 10. Uh, over the years, we'd have, we have had to become, as the market got bigger, even more discriminating about picking that one company a week. Uh, in the early days, our failure rate was about 60%. The, the company would go away because we've been around so long and are more discerning and the quality of our quality of our deal flow is better because our network is so good uh now our failure rates about 40 percent so, so two questions related to that um first as you mentioned um most of your deal flow comes from either investors that you've worked with in the past or founders that you've invested in um and so it actually makes it quite hard for people who want to come into the angel investing business to create that network. In some way, you get sort of network effects, right? The better um, you become an investing and the more people you invest in, the better the quality of the deal flow and the more deals you can do. So my first question is, what would be your advice to, or if, if Ron Conway had to start again, 
how do we come into this business? And then the second question, um, you also mentioned that you know, your failure rate has gone down, and yet you still keep that portfolio approach of trying to diversify your bets and investments as much as possible, not as much as possible, at least one week a deal. Um, why haven't you been tempted to become a bit more concentrated in your investment? Uh, well, I'll answer in reverse order, and you'll have to remind me if I don't <laughs> answer them all. But um, our, our, now I forgot the last thing you Di said. Diversification versus portfolio. Oh, yeah, we, if you had to, if you had to stereotype SV Angel, uh, we've probably invested more in more consumer portfolio companies than any other, because uh, you look at Google, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, um, Square, Stripe. We have, since the beginning, tended to attract founders of consumer internet companies. But we also invest in SaaS um, and soft, you know, uh, and other types of software as well. We're shifting to a focus on crypto. Um, we, we do have this advantage that we've built this network. And because we're advocates for founders, we do not take board seats. Board of directors oversee management. That means board of directors over 10 years for sure are going to get numerous disagreements with the founders. That's not SV Angel's mission. Companies need boards, just not us. We are always advocates for founders. So when a founder has a problem with the board, they can come to us and say, we think our board is not treating us fairly. Um, because we feed so many opportunities into the VC network out there, when we call a large VC who is on a board, they will tend to want to listen to us. Uh, and then your first question was, you know, would I, would I do this? Would I, would I do this starting today? That is a very hard question because we believe that valuations today are lofty. We think there is a lot of sloppy money out there that doesn't add a lot of value. So, you know, quite honestly, being an angel investor today doesn't carry the cachet that it carried 10 years ago when you had experience and you could add value to a company. There's a lot of investors out there today who I do not believe add value. They just have dollars. Now, I believe that founders are so courageous to start a company. I want every founder on earth to get funded. So I talk out of both sides of my mouth. So more companies are getting funded, and that's good, but not necessarily by investors that are going to be able to give the founder that much advice. But today, I would bet for every 200 companies that are founded, only four or five get funded. So the more money, the merrier. Just being old-fashioned in this business, we think you should add value. and. With our huge relationship network, we're, at, we're, at, we're able to add value. Keep in mind, um, most of our founders today starting a company, they want to have a relationship with Google, Facebook, Twitter, Square, for example, Pinterest. And guess what we get to say? Oh, we, we can probably help you there. <laughs> we funded the company and we placed most of the management team. That's the strength of SV Angel. 
you know, somebody will come to us and say, I need to get hold of this person at Google, and we just giggle and say, well, well, yeah, we, we introduced them to Google 20 years ago. We, they'll, they'll answer our email. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, that's a and, and, and keep in mind, everyone in these companies respects founders. They were all founders one day. Yeah, that's the funny thing about um, this job is that, you know, you have, you're a picker one day of the week, but you're also an advisor the other. And so I was wondering how you thought about those two different roles. So choosing the companies that you invest in and advising them and whether you think that you're always the best for or whether you think that you're the best in SV to be picking or advising and how you manage those two roles. Uh, good question. Uh, in the early days, uh, I had to be the picker. Ben Rosen and I were the pickers <clears throat> for four or five years. Over time, we expanded the SV Angel team, and about six years ago, my youngest son actually joined SV Angel. And it was about six years ago that I spent a lot of time teaching our team the nuances of picking out these traits in a founder, and I slowly stopped being a picker. I do not pick companies anymore. The SV team picks companies now. I spend my time in what I enjoy even more, which is giving high-level advice to founders. Um, and that's, that's what I, I really like. So I spend time, most of my time with three or four founders um, helping them with whatever problem they have and just helping solve that problem. And it's a myriad of issues depending on the company. But I, I really enjoy working with Ben Silverman at Pinterest or Brian Chesky at Airbnb or Brian Armstrong at Coinbase, who's Coinbase is starting a whole new industry. They're they're like the Netscape of crypto. It's it's going to be interesting to see that. So the reason I love doing this is I'm curious, like you are, and and love just help getting getting these problems solved uh, for founders. I also spend a third of my time on civic engagement and philanthropy. Um, uh, there's and funny enough, there's a lot of unrest going on in the United States right now, I think we have a president who is a disgrace to the world. And I, I let people know that. And hopefully democracy did work on the midterms. Didn't work enough, but, but in 2020, we have to fix things in the US. Um, but, but in the world today, so I spend my time on philanthropy and civic engagement, a third of it. Um, but to digress for a second, there's an income inequality gap around the world. The, the yellow coat issue here, the USA has it, and, and unfortunately we ended up with Donald Trump as a result. That's a huge mistake, so hopefully don't make that mistake. Um, but, but one of the companies I'm proud of, because they also have a social mission, is Airbnb. Airbnb has two missions that that have a social purpose. They allow people to augment their income by bringing someone into their home. It, just in France, over two billion a year goes into the pockets of Airbnb hosts in France to help augment their income. I, I'm proud of Airbnb for that. I think it's awesome. The other thing is these hosts in France are welcoming people from around the world 
and they're they're making the world a better place because people are communicating with each other in, in a time of unrest where a lot of people are polarized Airbnb unwit not unwittingly but they have this mission they're fulfilling of people around the world are being civil and talking to each other because they're 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 using other people's bedrooms uh, how cool is that we just need to make that bigger and make the world a better place so uh, Pinterest I think has a social mission as well where people share and discover things together on the internet um, if Twitter was edited better Twitter would be a good place especially if we could get Trump off it um, so I, I want to speak about financial and civic engagement and we'll, we will at the end I just want to come back a tiny bit to angel investing quickly um, so you mentioned that so, so you mentioned something that sort of really resonates here. We say very often that capital has become a commodity um, in, in the sense that you can find it quite easily and you know, it has a sort of fixed price. Um, and so I was wondering what, in your opinion, was the angelic angel, the ideal one that you, you should be looking for. Um, your son said recently that there was a lot more value that you could, be prov that you could provide and that it wasn't really dependent on the size of the checks that you're writing. And I completely agree with that. And so I was wondering what the value is and some examples that you can give. Yeah, you know, a good, a good angel investor, this is cliche, but a good angel investor is somebody who's investing because they love to be with founders and helping founders solve problems, not because they want to make a buck. Um, uh, you know, making money in angel investing, I believe, Making money is a byproduct if you've added value to the companies you've invested in. And if you're in it to make the money, founders see that right away. And that is the sloppy money I'm talking about. We get our satisfaction just picking up the phone and answering emails for founders with obtuse problems. Even, you know, their parent is ill and they need someone to go take care of that parent while they run the company. SV Angel, that's the kind of problems we love to solve for founders. These are the personal issues that allow them to go tend to the company and not have to worry about other issues that, that they have. You know, it's about being advocates for founders. It's not, it's not, about, not about money. And I, I know that's cliche, but. But a good a good angel investor is not doing it for money. Yeah, you'd be signing bigger checks if you're only doing it for the money, probably. Um, yeah, you're essentially describing a family in a way, which is a you know convenient coincidence. <laughs> um, I want to hear your opinion about France. You've been here for a while now, um, and you come quite often. I, I think I understood. Um, you haven't made that many investments outside of the U.S. Have you made any? Uh, we have made a few investments outside the U.S., but not a lot. And shame on us, but we keep we keep visiting. But th this thing in San Francisco keeps booming, and it's all walking distance from our office. But um, but we, I have been coming to France for over 20 years. I happen to be addicted to the south of France in the summer. Um, who's been to Club 55 or Sank on Sank? Oh, not a lot. That says you're working hard. That's good. Um, uh, and then we always come to Paris in the winter. 
um, and and I meet with a lot of ministers in France to try and and help them in their quest to bring business uh, uh, well startups to France and then in the case of SaaS companies in some cases it's better for that company to move to the US because that's where you can test out SaaS ideas the best um, and business France have you heard of that organization is a organization just about spreading entrepreneurship and they're doing a great a great job in fact the ambassador for that is the former is the found the former CEO of Cisco John Chambers yeah we had him on stage here a, a couple months ago oh awesome um, he's here a lot too <laughs> um, can you give us a little peek at what you were telling the, the ministers about how to make France a more attractive place um, well, some of it, the, the country has already done with the, um, with the uh, tax rates. Be there was a huge disparity in tax rates. And depending on how you calculate it, um, uh, in California, we have another 13% of tax. If you're in California, for sure the taxes in France are less than the United States. That was not the case uh, 18 months ago. Um, but some of the, the, the labor issues um, on termination process and things like that can be improved as well. And we are getting assurances that, that, that the government of France is working on those issues so that you have parity with other countries around the world. You don't have to be better but but parody parody would help so before we turn to questions from everyone else um i wanted to speak briefly about philanthropy which was what you mentioned um i was wondering what you were looking into particularly um i saw that you are part of the one percent pledge we have an equivalent here where we talk about founders pledge to founders um, and i was wondering how you think about philanthropy how it comes into um, your life and the sort of areas that you're generally interested in Yes, I'm, I'm a big believer that, that you should give back. Um, and I want to give a, a pitch for the giving pledge uh, that Bill Gates founded. Has everyone heard of the giving pledge? Well, that, that's good because that says you're really ambitious because you can't even join the giving pledge unless you have a net worth of a billion <laughs> and you commit to give half of it away. Um, but many tech founders uh, of larger companies have committed to the giving pledge. Okay, so that's on the back end. On the front end, when you start a company, your company, and you're philanthropically minded, you, you can pledge 1% of the equity of the company that will become a foundation that all the team members of the company can decide what causes they want to give that money to. In the United States, Salesforce.com, Yelp, these companies, by the time they went public, that 1% was worth over $50 million. And the team members took great pride in picking the causes to give that to. Uh, the equivalent here, I think, is the founder pledge. And is that also 1% recommended? You can give more if you want. Well, of course you can give more. But, but if you give just 1% of your equity, uh, into a, uh, a foundation, 
when you recruit your new employees, you need to tell them, we are members of the Founder Pledge. That tells new employees something about your culture, that your culture is a culture that wants to give back. That's a, that's a cultural trait that new employees want to see. So it's, a, it's actually, what I'm arguing is it's a benefit to you to, to join the Founder Pledge. And so, and, yeah, and encourage volunteerism as well. And so, areas you're particularly interested in in philanthropy and uh, civic um, engagement. In, in philanthropy, I personally uh, am very much into education causes, um, helping people get from uh, middle school to high school to college. Uh, um, these are underprivileged students, and getting them through college usually the first member of their family that's gotten through college. And then uh, all kinds of causes uh, to do with sick children. Uh, and then um, I'm very active with uh, Forward.us to solve the immigration crisis in the United States. We have 800,000 dreamers uh, that Donald Trump wants to mistreat, and we're not going to let him do that. Yeah, something we're um, quite passionate about as well. We're actually starting a new program in Berlin to help people from outside Europe um, come build their companies uh, in Berlin, and we help them relocate and start their companies there. And so if you know Trump is kicking out all those people, then they'll have a place to come, hopefully, in, in Berlin for the founders. That's awesome. Um, so before we open to questions from the audience, I'd like to invite everyone to give a warm uh, round of applause to, to Ron. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Ron is quite something, right? But if you're getting sad that it's already over, don't worry, we've got you covered. Subscribe to our podcast or try to watch some videos on our YouTube channel, Startup Food. Come to one of our events at The Family in Paris, London, Berlin. And check our website, thefamily.co, if you want to learn more about us or apply to the family. Love and startups.